Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. verse 11 where it says this for I know the plans I have for you (laughs) plans for good and not for evil plans to give you a a future and a hope I got so inspired by that verse and it began to resonate in my heart that I took the two dollars that I had that was left over from the disability pension that week and I built a youth centre in Queensland, raised money through government grants and business sponsorship. Uh, one young Australian of the year in 1998 for Queensland Community Service. And then schools, uh, companies, uh, football teams uh, started asking me to come in and share my story. I'm at a point in my life where i got to tell you honestly, um, I feel like I'm living my dream. Uh, in terms of high schools, I now speak in around about 300 high schools um, around the world, averaging about 150 flights. I speak about 100,000 teenagers. A lot of the big boys' schools, big GPS schools in Sydney, get me in especially to work with their first 15 rugby teams because you're mental toughness and discipline. I had a school in Melbourne recently fly me down for one hour, took with eight of their rowers before a major regatta, the head coming up. Of athletic squads, our swimming squads, our prefect committees, leadership groups, our gridiron teams in America, rugby academies in New Zealand, equestrian teams in Victoria, uh, the National Rugby League, you know, the NRL, they've hired me in for the last five years, come around a program with all 16 of their teams uh, based upon one of my books uh, called Men of Honour. I try and change a culture within the next uh, five years. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> No, no, seriously, um, the, you know the real reason I created a book called Man of Honour <laughs> is um, because <laughs> I have three daughters. <laughs> I'll let you work that out later. Um, <laughs> no, this book is actually a guide for fathers and sons to talk about some of the stuff that fathers and sons actually find difficult to actually uh, discuss, um, sex, pornography, and a whole bunch of other very, very interesting things I won't mention from the pulpit. Um, but guys, uh, very, very quick, at this point in my life, I've got to tell you, honestly, I feel like I'm living my dream. But if you go back to when I was 22, when I was 22, I actually weighed 55 kilos. I was taking 16 tablets a day, and I was suffering with pain 24-7. But God is good, right? <laughs> um, I just want to read you one really, really quick um, story from a young girl. And um, this is pretty much why I do what I do. Uh, this girl writes to me, and... Um, I got permission to put her letter on the latest edition of my first book. Uh, she says this. She says, um, earlier this year, I had a very severe episode of depression in which I was twice admitted to hospital. While staying there, my dad came and gave me your book. At the time, I was having a lot of difficulty with concentration, except it only out of politeness. But when I began to read it, I just couldn't put it down. I finished within a couple of days of the new realisation I had a bright and hopeful future. Then she says, this is after reading the book, I met a girl in my ward. We start having a chat and she told me a deep desire to enter life. She's convinced she's not going to live past 16. I told her about your book and how much it impacted me and I offered it to her that night. She said she didn't put it down until morning. Next thing when I saw her, she put her arms around me. So that book just saved my life. 
So um, God is using um, our work in an incredibly profound way, and I'm incredibly blessed um, by that. But let's get to the Word. Is that okay? Uh, just enough about me. Let's get to the Word. Um, if you have your Bibles there, this message, or if you have a pen and paper, um, or an iPhone or iPad, something you can take notes on, I always encourage people to take notes, because I sometimes can't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> So I actually like to make the most out of the moment. This message is actually entitled, and it's just really designed to get you into spring. Spring's not far away, right? Um, And it's called this. Uh, The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. (laughs) Uh, The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. I'm going to be reading from Luke 16. verse 1. We're going to read all the way through the 13. Then I'm going to shake out, shake it all out, extrapolate the contents and make it really relevant for you here this morning. Is that, is that cool? Um, Luke 16 verse 1 says this. Actually, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that the entrance of your word bringing forth light. And I pray, Lord God, this word would bring light, would bring illumination, would bring hope and freedom to every single person gathered here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, and I'm reading for the message version, right? There was once a rich man who had a manager, He got reports that the manager had been taken advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and he said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired and I want a complete audit of all your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as a manager. I'm not strong enough for a labouring job. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out onto the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Then he went. See, I grew up in an area that was a really low socioeconomic area, a lot of generational welfare. People said, it's amazing God put me in that kind of area. Then... He went at it one after another. He called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down quick. Now just write 50. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? And he answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. And he said, take your bill quickly, just write 80. Now, here's the surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They're on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival. Oh, isn't that good? Hey? Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live 
really live, not complacently and just get by on good behavior. I love this because Jesus is using a crook to make a point. This was certainly a surprise to the people of his day. And guess what? It's a surprise to many of us. You know what I find is that Jesus loves to disrupt our thinking. Basically, he said, when you come to faith, don't kiss your brain goodbye. You need to come in here and think. And when you do struggle, when things don't work out, when you do get fired, don't ask, why am I struggling? Ask, what is God trying to develop in me for my next chapter? (laughs) Jesus, he's praising someone for crooked behavior. Not that he wants us to be dishonest, but he's showing us that this guy was shrewd. He was streetwise and he used everything within his disposal to bring about success. He didn't allow his lack of resources to stop him. The manager said, what am I going to do? I've lost my job. You might be saying, well, you know, I'm being hassled at school. I didn't make the team. I'm not not doing well. I can't seem to connect with God. My income has been slashed. I've lost all my money on my super. I'm not strong enough for a labouring job. I'm too proud to beg. Listen, empty pockets never held anyone back. Only empty heads and empty hearts can actually do that. Your lack of resources, stop complaining that you lack resources, that you're not educated enough, that you don't have enough time, you don't have enough strength, you don't have enough wisdom. Listen, in James 1.5, it says this, If you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. Not to some, but to all. You know, I'm constantly, because I'm always trying to put myself in an environment where I'm uncomfortable, where I'm growing. It's a stretch for me. So I'm always constantly praying, God, give me the mind of Christ to help me deal with this current situation that I'm, I'm feel, I feel out of my depth. You, you know what I find? If you're, if you're a little bit scared about your situation, that means you've got skin in the game. <laughs> if you've got doubt about whether you... That, that means your faith has a pulse. We, we, we need to constantly... Jeff Bezos who's the head of Amazon.com, he said this. He said, lack drives innovation. Just like other constraints do. One of the only ways to get out of a tight box is to invent your way out. Look at what you guys have done to this facility. (laughs) How you've made this thing work. How you had to go and sit in a hall. After being in a place, you had to go back to a high school hall for four years in order to get to where you are right now. Lack drives innovation. Look how creatively you'd be able to pull this thing together. You know, I was in, um, the the dream is free. The hustle is sold separately, right? So um, I'm going to give you what I would say. I can't give you the Christian version of that. Salvation is free. Blessings are conditional. I'm going to draw out six keys from this text. You know what, honestly, there's probably a thousand of them, but I'm just going to take out six because that's all we've got time for this morning because we want a short, quick, punchy message, right? <laughs> so, um, so we're just going to do six. But here's your homework, right? Here's your homework. Your homework is to go and grab another three. Go home this week, read this text again, and try and get God to speak to you. <laughs> 
about how you can use this text for the situation you're dealing with. Ready? So number one. Number one is this. Be proactive, not reactive. Be proactive, not reactive. You know what being proactive is all about? It's about taking responsibility for your life. You cannot keep blaming everything on your parents, your grandparents, your genetics, or your circumstances. You know, and you know what? You can't keep blaming things on the devil either. You know, I find the longer you're in church, the more stuff gets blamed on the devil. This is why the children of the world are more shrewd, because they don't have the luxury of blaming things on the devil. Let me tell you the only thing you need to know about the devil. Ready? This is the only thing you need. He's under your feet. <laughs> That's all you need to know. End of story. You know, I teach my kids. There's a motto I, I have. I work with my kids on. I say this. Ready? If it's going to be, it's up to me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. I love it when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. I can do. I can do. He, he, he had to get the I can do before he got through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Or St. Augustine's put it beautifully when he said this, pray as though everything dependent on God and work as though everything dependent on you. <laughs> Listen, if you're not doing well at school, if your business is faltering, if your marriage is breaking down, or if your kids are driving you crazy, seriously, who in the world told you that you were to accept failure? If things aren't going well, for goodness sake, do not throw your arms up in the inside and quit. Now here's what you do, ready? You organise a tutor. You get a business coach. You see a counsellor. You do something that will turn the weakness into a strength. Listen, Helen Keller, for those of you who don't know, from a really young age was blind and deaf. Because she was blind and deaf, she never learned to speak. So blind, deaf, and now dumb. She would stand in a room, right? And when she was a young girl, eight, eight years of age, and she would sense conversation happening when her parents used to throw these parties. And she didn't really know what was happening. She would go and grab people by their lips and feel their lips move touch their throats and feel the vibrations on their throat, and she sensed that she was missing out on something. She, she began kicking and screaming on the floor. Her nanny saw her frustration and thought, I need to teach this girl how to communicate. But how do you teach someone how to communicate who's blind, deaf, and dumb? Her nanny took one of the only senses she had left. Ready? Touch. And with a finger on the palm of her hand, would write out the letters of the alphabet. <laughs> A, B, C. She put her hand under water and go W, A, T, touch a flower, F, L. It was long, it was laborious, it was tough, it was tedious. But Helen Keller went on to be one of her age's greatest orators, greatest writers, greatest authors. Why? Because she learned to turn a weakness into a strength. Listen, here's the deal. There is always a way through what you're going through right now. The Red Sea may be in front of you. Pharaoh's armies at your back, mountains to the east. But there is always a way through. Turning weak. You know what reactive people do? Reactive people are affected by, the, by their environment. But you know what? You're actually not a product of your environment. You're actually a product of the choices that you make in that environment. A proactive person uses language like this. I can, I will, I must. A reactive person uses language like this. I can't. Do I have to? <laughs> Or if only. <laughs> Listen, this manager didn't act like a victim. He didn't say, it's not fair. They made me. They put me. He was proactive. Listen, um, 
can I just say something that's a little bit controversial? Is, is, that, is that okay? <laughs> can I just, just is, is this okay? Um, listen, um, and I get in a lot of trouble for this, but you know, understand what I'm actually trying to say here. Ready? Listen, um, I actually really don't believe in the word um, bullying. <laughs> I don't like, I, listen, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. What I'm saying is my kids aren't allowed to come home and use that word. They're not allowed to come home and say, Dad, I, I was bullied. I, we, don't, we don't have, my kids know this. You ask my kids, they know this. In fact, when a school says, can you talk on bullying? I say, well, I don't really bully. I'll help your kids become resilient. I'll help them to become uh, strong. I'll help them become robust, but I won't talk about bullying per se. Because what it does is immediately put someone in a victim mentality. Well, my kid has an altercation at school. And that's what they said, Dad, I had a little altercation at school. I said, okay, what was the altercation? Okay, this was the altercation. Okay, this is how we're going to deal with it now. And we come up with a creative strategy to get ourselves around this. We don't pull them out of school and put them in homeschool or don't do whatever. We'll take them out of school and put them in another school. We get them to deal with the situation. We get them to be, is this making sense? Yeah. I'm not offending it because I don't mean to offend people, right? I'm just actually trying to help you. Put them in a, because you don't want to put them in a victim mentality. The crooked manager came up with a plan. He didn't react, he didn't fuss, he didn't worry about it. He put a plan together and he executed that plan. You know what I find all through the Bible? God actually never gives sympathy. He only really gives strategy. Gideon is a, in a wine press threshing out wheat. You don't thresh out wheat in a wine press. It's not actually what it's for. But he was so scared to go outside, he did it in the wine press. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise, mighty man of Allah. And Gideon's like full of excuses. Me? I'm in a wine press. Can't you see? I'm scared to even go outside. And you know, my, my family, we're like, we're like the least of all the drivers. And in my family, I'm the least of everybody. You can almost see the angel of the Lord doing this. Ready? Have you finished? Arise, mighty man of valor. <laughs> Strategy, not sympathy. Um, Elijah's in a cave. He's just come off this amazing victory, right? Amazing victory. He's in a cave and he's suicidal. The angel of the Lord says, arise, come with right? And Elijah just starts complaining. What, me? No, they're killing all your prophets. And I alone am left. There's no one left, just me. The angel of the Lord, again. Get out of this cave and get up onto the mountaintop. We can get a vision of what God wants for you. You got to get out of this dark place. Strategy, not sympathy. Um. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8, you know this, we, we love to quote it all the time, right? Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says this, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to create wealth. Notice it doesn't say He gives you wealth. It says He gives you the power to create it. Do you know the power that you've got locked up on the inside of you? To actually create wealth. But we're not doing it because we're not proactive. Things may come to those that wait, but only the things that are left by those who hustle. Number two is this, ready? Number two is this. Um, and not, not, not another word we like to use in church. But I'm going to try and redeem some of these words, ready? Um, number one is be ambitious. Be, you know ambition is a powerful force? Look at the greats. What, what drove these people to success? Look at the Olympic What drove them to success? You know, a fire in your belly will not light itself. Something on the inside has to spark. You know what? I can't make you hungry. I'd love to, but I can't actually make you hungry. 
I, I can feed up the meal on a plate, but I can't chew it for you. For me, the Word of God calls me to be ambitious about the things God wants me to have ambition for. In Proverbs, it says this, the complacency of fools will destroy them. Do you know how many people have been destroyed because of their complacency? They've got no one else to blame but their complacency. <laughs> they can blame on a lot of other things. They can blame on their family. They can blame on everything else. They can blame on the devil. But really, it's their complacency. Matthew 5, verse 6, it says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That means if you don't hunger and thirst, that tells them you can't be filled. Is this making sense? Then, um, in, in Philippians uh, 3.10, Paul goes on and he says this. He says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one. Everyone say one. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. You know what? I really love Paul. And like, I, I got a lot of respect for him. But you know the deal about this dude is he cannot count. He's really bad at mathematics because it says one thing, but I don't know about you, but I counted three things. But you know, you know why he was saying three things? Because of this, ready? Here's the deal. You, you cannot reach for something unless you're forgetting what's behind you. And you cannot press unless you're actually reaching for something. So it's actually really all one action. The forgetting, the reaching, the press. You got to press. See, a lot of people, they've got the forgetting part. They're reaching, but they're actually not pressing. Be ambitious. Press. Then, my favorite scripture, the first scripture I found when I became a Christian, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says this. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets a prize? So run to win. (laughs) Sounds pretty simple to me, doesn't it? Run to win. Do you know that God wants you to win? No matter what season I'm in, no matter whether I'm defeated, broke, misunderstood or ridiculed, I'll always declare that God wants me to win. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. Listen, um, I I know this sounds a little bit strange and might sound a little bit arrogant, but I'm not trying to be arrogant. Listen, in 42 years of of living, I've learned this, ready? I actually never lose. I either, either win or I learn, but I actually never lose. And if you can teach that to your kids, that they either win or they learn, then they'll be success no matter what they do. Um, and, then, and you know what? It declares it in Psalm 112. It says this, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. That means it says, If I fear God and if I delight greatly in His commandments, guess what will happen? My descendants will be mighty on the earth. And the generation of the upright will be blessed. My um, daughter, Eden, second daughter, Eden, had her athletics carnival recently. She said, Dad, what do I do? I said, here's what you do, honey. You run to win. (laughs) Now, do I care if she comes seventh or fourth or 14th? No. But when she's running, she runs to win. Because we're called to not just forget and reach, but we're actually called to press. Some, some of us aren't pressing like we ought to. My wife posted on Instagram recently, quote of the week. This is from my nine-year-old daughter. Ready? Mum, I've dreamt of making the state champ since I was four. <laughs> Who says that? Glengarine's daughter. It's a picture of her pool deck at the Sydney Aquatic Centre. Listen, you know there is a big difference between surviving and thriving? 
You know, there's a big difference between the desert and the promised land, between living life and living a blessed life, between I'm okay and I'm more than a conqueror. There is a difference between enough and more than enough, between full and overflow, between making it and conquering, between existing and shining, between rhetoric and action, between speaking it and bearing fruit, between having a dream and living out a vision. Press. You know what God's ambition is? This is what God's ambition is. Ready? (laughs) That none should perish. That's a pretty big ambition, isn't it? Like seriously. And I've gone to churches, thankfully no C3 churches (laughs) like this. I've gone and pastors say to me, well, you know, if I just have a church of 500 people, I'd be content. But isn't God's ambition that none should perish? See, sometimes we actually have to rewire our thinking and actually align our thoughts up with what, how God th- thinks. And sometimes that's why this stuff like this is such a disruption in for many people <laughs> because they actually weren't raised like this. But this is what actually the Bible actually teaches. I'm giving you plenty of scripture today to help you understand what God actually wants for you. But then, you know what? I've heard, then I, I think what people th- think and when I speak like this, and I know the thoughts that you think, because I can hear them buzzing around in your head, right? And it's like this. But Glenn, Glenn, shouldn't I be content? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that I should be content? You know what I think Christianity is like? Christianity is like walking a tightrope. It's like a, a balance between mercy and justice. Between love and war. Between contentment and complacency. You know, I think the best place for any Christian to live is where they are totally grateful for God's blessings today and completely determined to move forward tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's a good place for us to be. Number three is this, ready? Number three is um, hardiness. This manager was hardy. You know the number one lesson I want my three girls to, to know and understand, as well as my son as well, is this. I want, I want my kids to be tough. I don't want them to fall apart at the littlest of things. I know an 18-year-old girl who cannot forgive herself of a mistake she made four years ago and is battling with depression because of it. We need our kids to be tough, right? I caught my four-year-old, Willow, saying to Eden, my seven-year-old daughter, I walked past the bedroom and Willow, my four-year-old, said this to her elder sister, toughen up, princess. (laughs) Proud day that was for me right there, right? Listen. We, we, we have a mantra up on our wall. I tell my kids that it's been in the Garayan household for 500 years. It's passed down from the Dutch to Portuguese when they came to Sri Lanka. And, you know, and they carried it in their hearts. It hasn't. I just made it up recently. Ready? And we've actually got it. I've actually got it put up on our wall. I got, went to typo. You know those wooden letters you can get? Stuck it up on my our kitchen wall. And it says, ready? We do hard things. So when you're faced with a problem in maths, you know that as a Garayan, we do hard things. When there's an issue in the playground, you know as a Garayan that we do hard things. It's part of our mantra. It's part of what we do. It's part of our hardiness. We don't fall apart at the littlest of struggles. Listen, um, Julie Logan at the Pace Case Business School found that entrepreneurs are three times more likely than the general public to have dyslexia. And many entrepreneurs credit their ADHD with giving them the edge in making their business a success. 
disadvantaged people make good. But it's not that their mental differences give them a performance edge. It's not like there's a secret code that only dyslexics can read. No, it's because they probably always have a tendency to be the outsider. Which made them less likely to actually be picked. Less likely to be at the top of their class. Less likely to be chosen by some fancy college or recruited by some top firm. And precise because they didn't fit in, they had little choice but to pick themselves. <laughs> and once that choice is made, it actually becomes a habit. And that leads me to number four. Ready? Action orientated. Action oriented. This guy was action oriented. He went at it. Hey, if you, if you want to do something great, for goodness sake, don't wait for permission. Don't wait to be ordained or pre-approved or picked out of a crowd. You know what? Oprah has left the building. <laughs> She's not going to put you on her show anymore and make you an overnight success. You know what? You know what? Here's the deal. YouTube wants you to have your own show. But they're not going to call you. Amazon wants you to write your own book. But they're not going to call you either. iTunes are waiting for you to write your own song. But they're not going to call you either. You have to choose yourself. You know, you want one thing I like about the Hunger Games series of movies is it tells a story about a young girl who actually volunteered to be a leader. She wasn't invited. She had to step up. Most heroes are depicted in films are chosen. The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Superman, Man of Steel, Star Wars, Harry Potter. Now choose yourself. But these movies that we watch, they're precisely the reason why so many people feel, fail to see themselves as leaders. Leadership comes from within, following your heart uninvited. Not when someone calls you out of a crowd and tells you that you're gifted or you've been bitten by some radioactive spider. <laughs> or someone turns around their big red seat and says, I want you on my team. That's what some people are looking for. They're waiting for someone to turn around and say, oh, I want you. Your voice, that made me turn around. Totally. Oh, yeah, you, you need to be on my team. Listen, Biz Stone, who's the founder of Twitter, one of the founders of Twitter, um, he um, is worth $250 million. He grew up at, when he was um, a young boy. His dad left him when he was really young, so he grew up in a single um, parent family just with his mum. But when he started high school, he learned through watching movies that if you want to gain any sort of social credit at high school, you kind of have to be good at sport. But he didn't have a dad throw a ball around with him, so he wasn't all that good at sport. But he thought he'd try, right? So he tried it for the basketball team, didn't make it. it was standing in the wrong place for too long, right? He was um, tried it for the baseball team, couldn't bat, couldn't throw. Tried it for the football team, got smashed. But he, rather than give up, as most people do, right? He, he found out that he used... Create, he used every adversity to stimulate him to creative survival. He found out that his school didn't have a lacrosse team. So he thought, if no one knows how to play lacrosse, then that kind of evens the playing field. <laughs> so he goes to his principal and says, listen, um, if I can get enough players and if I can get a coach, can I start a lacrosse team? Coach, principal says, knock yourself out. He gets enough players gets a coach, right? They elect him captain because no one else even knows what lacrosse is. <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, I learned a really valuable lesson that day. Guess what? Opportunity is manufactured. Yeah. You know what we've been trained to do? We've been trained to wait for the opportunity, right opportunity to present itself and then strike while the iron's hot. But you know what? If you create the opportunity, 
then you're going to be the first person in place to take advantage of the opportunity. Be action orientated. Listen, if, if 2016 has not opened a door for you just yet, then build your own door. Find an angle. Look for an opportunity. Don't give up. Learn how to survive. Live by your wits and get creative. Stop relying on God to do everything. You know God moves when you move? Seriously, God moves when you move. You've heard the old scripture. We use it all the time, right? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Can I, you, can I ask you this question? Tell me, what comes first? The steps or the ordering? The steps of a good man are ordered. So that means if you're not stepping, he can't order. We're waiting for him to order. <laughs> Tell us where to go, God. What do you want us to do? And he's waiting up for us to step. Am I preaching to anybody here in this? Okay. Number five is this, right? Number five is relationship driven. I got to finish in two minutes, right? Relationship driven. Your provision is tied up in people. The manager was in trouble. What did he do? He turned to the people he had relationships with. You know the answer to your crisis is not financial. The answer to your crisis is actually relational. Listen, let me put it like this. In 2 Kings, right, a really familiar story. It's Elisha, the prophet. He comes across this woman who's about to sell her son. She can't pay her bills, right? So he goes, she goes to the prophet and says, can you help me? The prophet goes, okay, what have you got? She goes, I've got a little jar of oil. He goes, okay, here's what we need to do. I want you to go to all your neighbors. I want you to get as many jars as you possibly get. Empty jars. Just fill your house with empty jars. You know, if that happened today, if the man of God came to us and said, listen, I want you to go to your neighbor and I want you to get as much. You know what we'd say? We'd say, well, you know what? We've just had a couple of months of winter. And, you know, we don't really go out into our backyard in winter in Sydney, right? So I haven't really seen my neighbor for a while. And, you know, the hedge has grown up quite high. So, you know, I don't know if it's, not, not if it's even the same people living there anymore. On um, the guy number 56, oh, he ran out on his wife. So I went and, like, told him what for. I said he was going to go to hell. And so he, I, I don't think he's going to give me any jazz. On um, the guy number 74, oh, he's gay. And I told him he's not going to do any, and he's not going to go to heaven either. Do you, can I tell you something? Honestly, you know, the size of your miracle is actually pretty much dependent on the size of your relationships. You want a big miracle? <laughs> Increase your sphere of influence. You know, there's this really old saying, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, yeah, it says, um, war is actually the inability to have conflict. You know how we, some of us think war is the ability to have conflict? No, it's actually the inability to have conflict. Basically, you're saying, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with you, so I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> I don't want to debate. I want to sit down and reason. So it's an inability to have... And you know what, you know what families are like this all the time? I, I can't have conflict for you, with you, so I'm just going to cut you off. I don't want to actually sit down and go through the process of learning to deal with you, so I'm just going to cut you off. You, you, you know what it's like in some families? Auntie's always fighting with somebody, right? <laughs> inability to have conflict. Last thing. Ready? Last one is this. Um... The key to unlock your dream is actually in you. It's in you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within. That means all its power, all its resources are there. He also went about preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? That means it's within your reach. Everything that you need to get you to where you want to go is actually within your reach. Uh, Moses, the staff is actually in your hand. It was always there, Moses. To deliver, it's, it's right there. 
Samson, the jawbone of an ass, is right to defeat these Philistines, to overcome this challenge you're right now, faith, to overcome this situation. It's right there. Moses, the, the, the ram is tied up in the, I'm sorry, Abraham, the, the, the ram is tied up in the thicket. It's right there. For this sacrifice, for this offering that you're going to about to get rid of me, it's right there. Let me explain it to you like this, ready? Because maybe, maybe you need Bible. Genesis 12, 3, it says this, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and in you, everyone say in you, in you that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Romans eight eleven. but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells, in you, everyone say in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells? In you, uh, one Ephesians four six, one God, one Father, and all who is above all and through all, and in you all. For Philippians one sixteen, being common to this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians two five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. First uh, Timothy four fourteen, do not neglect the gift that is. In you, which was given to you by prophecy. Um, 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. 1 John 2.27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. 1 John 4.4. 4, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome the world because of he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Colossians 1.27. To them God willed to make known. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in you. It's in you. Listen, I'm going to do um, one really quick thing here. Ready? Look up here. Um, I'm just going to ask you three really, really quick questions. Here's the deal. Um, You know, when I first started um, speaking, I used to ask people, are you in a relationship with God? You know what I learned? The word relationship means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I have 5,000 friends on my personal Facebook page and another 13,500 on a public profile. I'm not in relationship with all those people. <laughs> so the word relation today means a lot of different things. So I'm not going to ask you, are you in a relationship with God? I'm going to ask you this, is God first in your life? If you answered no or maybe, in just a second, I'm going to pray for you. Is, is that cool? Not is he a close first or a tie for third, <laughs> but is he actually first? Number two is this. Do you actually feel connected to God? Do you actually feel connected? Actually connected. You, maybe you were once connected, but now you feel disconnected. Somewhere along the way you got disconnected and you just followed you. And you know what it feels like? It feels like you're way over here in the weeds and surrounded by, by long grass. And your path that you should be on is way over there. And you can see it. But for some strange, you feel all alone and lost and a little bit anxious because you feel like, why am I surrounded by this stuff when I know my true path is over there? You're disconnected. And number three, I used to say, if you were to die today, would you make it? But then I found out there's actually a lot easier to die for God. What I find is really difficult to actually live for him every day. (laughs) So listen, are you living for him every day? Three questions. Uh, is God first in your life? Do you feel connected to him? And are you living for him every day? If you answered no or maybe to any of those questions, can, um, I'm going to ask you in just a second to raise your hand. Okay? So can everyone just close their eyes? And then I'm going to pray for you, those who answered no or maybe. Ready? Everyone just 
Close your eyes all across this auditorium. No one looking around. Um, this is just between you and God, right? Here are the three questions again. Is he first in your life? Do you feel connected to him? And are you living for God every day? If you answered no or maybe to any of those three, on the count of three, I just want you to slip up your hand. No one else will see. I'll just see. I'll notice you. And then I'll get you to put your hand down. On the count of three. Not on the count of two. Not on the count of four. Not even on the count of five. <laughs> on the count of three. Ready? Here we go. One. Two. Three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just a minute. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else who answered no, maybe to any of those three questions? I'm, I'm just going to quickly pray for you, and then we're going to dismiss. Anyone and hasn't raised their hand? If you just slip it up really quickly, and then we're going to di- dis- dismiss. Thank you. Just down here. Awesome. Hey, guys, um, here's what we're going to do. Um, look up here. Look up here. There, there, there were so many of you, right, that raised your hands. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask everyone to stand. Is that okay? Can we just all stand very quickly? And what I'm going to do, guys, is um, I'm going to lead everyone into prayer, right? It's a prayer that invites Jesus in your heart. So can we all just pray this together? Is, is that okay? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, open the doorway of my heart. And if you raise your hand, I want you to really pray this, right? Open the doorway of my heart and I ask you to come in. I give my life to you. I pledge to serve you all the days of my life in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give those guys a hand that prayed to that. Hey, guys. um, Some of you prayed that prayer this morning, and you're going to feel a little bit emotional. And that's great. That's God touching your heart. Some of you are going to pray that prayer. You're not going to feel any emotion at all. You know what you're going to know? You're going to know this morning you made a really, really important decision. So what I'm going to do, if you pray that prayer for the first time, second time, um, the pastors will be out here and they'll be able to pray for you um, after the service. And I, after the service, I encourage you to come and, vi- uh, come and see them. Also, guys, can you just raise your hand? I'm going to pray before I hand back to Pastor uh, Chris. Ready? Everyone just raise their hands right now all across this room. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord God, this word will continue to resonate in our hearts, Lord God. Continue to stir us, Lord God. Continue to shake off the complacency. Shake off the winter coat, Lord God. And have us prepare, Lord God, for a great spring, Lord God, as we begin to enter into it. I pray for growth, Lord God, in this church. Growth in every single person gathered here in this place. Growth in their businesses. Growth in their relationships. Growth in their hardiness. Toughen them, Lord God, by your spirit. Put the spirit of boldness on the inside of them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand, hey? Awesome. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.